Welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. I'm here to welcome you into the world of orgasmic living by hosting experts to discuss orgasmic topics such as nutrition, spirituality, personal development, sexuality, and much more. Here, we will offer lifestyle lessons that can help you lead a fulfilling, joyous, and orgasmic lifestyle. I'm your guide, Venus O'Hara. Welcome to the 15th episode of the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara. In this new moon episode, we'll be interviewing Nicole Mitchell, a former pastor who is now a stripper with a very successful profile on OnlyFans. She's also a life coach and she'll be sharing her incredible story with us. Then I'll be discussing the book I'm reading now, which is The True Confessions of a London Spank Daddy by Peter Jones. And finally, we'll be experiencing a guided meditation with affirmations to celebrate our bodies. But first, let's talk about my own journey with religion, guilt, sexuality, and spirituality. Sex and religion. It seems to be an impossible cocktail. And for me, it was as well. I was brought up very Catholic in a very Catholic cocoon, separate from the rest of the world. And I remember just thinking or being taught that sex was sinful and virginity was kind of part of your value as a woman. And it couldn't be given away very easily because in the past, or even in some societies still today, virginity is kind of like an exchange for you exchange it, you give it to the highest bidder in exchange for a life of financial stability, which just sounds awful <laughs> for me. And to me, for me, uh, when I lost my virginity, I was not thinking about my future or if I was going to be with this guy forever or he, if he was going to be my provider. All I wanted to do was kind of feel closer to this person that I was very much in love with. I always believed that I would be my own provider in life. And also, I was taught that women were not really, didn't really have that many rights as well. I don't think any, many religions are particularly woman-friendly. I never really felt that I was less than men. I had some fantastic teachers, even though I was at Catholic schools, who really encouraged me to go further than what I believed for myself was possible. So that's amazing. I really feel grateful for that. As soon as I lost my virginity, well, it was a bit of a disaster, that story, which I've already shared here. Um, But the second time was like, oh my God, I had orgasm after orgasm after orgasm. And I had read in many women's magazines that it wasn't possible or not very likely for women to have orgasms through vaginal stimulation. And for me, it was it was very easy. This is because there was an area of the vagina called the AFE, the anterior fornix erogenous zone or the A spot, which is a part of the vagina at the, on the front wall that's quite deep inside. And it wasn't really spoken of until 1996. Many people speak of the G-spot, but for me, this is really where the party was at. And at that moment of stimulation of that part, I feel this incredible surrender. And, And now more recently, I feel like an incredible divine and cosmic connection. It is, is something I, I'm completely mindful. I'm not thinking about anything. I'm just feeling and enjoying. It's just one of the best sensations I've ever experienced in my life. And it was so intense that I could not ignore it. So for me, around the, around the time I lost my virginity, I also stopped going to church and rejected my Catholic faith as much as possible. Despite the fact that I rejected it, I never considered myself to be an atheist. I did believe there could be some some form of, you know, um, higher life or some some kind of reason why we're all here. It wasn't just all a coincidence. I would have defined myself as an agnostic, kind of like, if you show me, I might believe in it kind of thing. And that's how I was for many, many years. And I think my my high libido and how much I enjoyed sex has been 
you know, a great gift, but it also has led me down some paths that I shouldn't have gone down, or maybe I've been a bit too dependent on some of the partners I've had in my life. Um, and then I've also been in toxic relationships as a result, because I wanted to feel that feeling so badly, that feeling of cosmic connection that only, I felt that only I could only experience through penetration. But then more recently, as I've become more spiritual, I have actually discovered sacred sexuality. And it's just, I feel as though now I don't think that sex is a sin at all. I think it's a connection with God. I think it's cosmic. I think it's like prayer, like a prayer, as Madonna said. And I wanted to read a couple of quotes here. One um, that I received on my YouTube channel the other day, and it was on a video about the no fap movement and masturbation addiction, which obviously no extremes are good. But this, um, this comment is very interesting nonetheless. So let me read. From the spiritual perspective, there are only two reasons to masturbate, to find God, or if you have already found God, to experience that form of bliss that is God. The point is to be one-pointed on God. When Ramakrishna was asked to get rid of a lust, he said, why get rid of it? Direct it towards God. He also advised to have sex with God. One spiritual teacher advised his devotee to seek his lover as Krishna. When you see God in all things, including yourself, there is no possibility of addiction. I thought that was really beautiful. Another quote I'm going to read is from the book Hands of Light by Barbara Ann Brennan. The mutual letting go into deep communion through giving and receiving in sexual intercourse is one of the many ways humanity has of deeply letting go of the ego, separateness, and experiencing unity. When done with love and respect for the uniqueness of your mate, it is a holy experience culminating from the deep primordial evolutionary urges of mating on the physical level and the deep spiritual yearnings of uniting with divinity. It is a wedding of both the spiritual and physical aspects of the two human beings. Well, that's very different from the communion I was brought up with. And that's definitely something that I could indulge in every Sunday, but without needing to go to church. So well, let's talk more about religion and sex and liberation with Nicole Mitchell. Now it's time for this episode's interview. I'm going to be speaking to Nicole Mitchell, who was a pastor and now she's a stripper and a life coach. And she has an incredible story. Nicole Mitchell, welcome to the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast. I'm very happy to have you here. I actually watched some of your interviews months ago, so I already knew quite a lot about you and I was fascinated. So tell me, you were raised as a strict Baptist in a Baptist family, and then you later became a pastor. How was your childhood and what inspired you to actually become a pastor? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited we're having this conversation, I think, and I hope it serves a lot of people. So I, yeah, I grew up in a really religious household and I more picked up on the messaging than I was explicitly taught. Like I noticed that all the leaders were men in the church and all the people who were in the nursery and in the kitchen and serving behind the scenes were women. So at a young age, I picked up on this message that I belonged there. I belonged in the kitchen or in the nurseries. I should be cooking or having babies and tried so hard to be that version of a girl and a young woman, because it's all I knew. And, and yet I'm a very um, charismatic, outgoing leader. And so I was trying to find ways to channel that into these very limited roles I was allowed to be in in my church. And it wasn't until my late 20s that my then husband introduced me to a church where they taught gender equality. What a concept in the 21st century. I was like mind blown and a little intimidated about like, wow, they believe women can serve and lead and teach and preach. And I was like, so excited because now I had a place where I could channel my leadership talent and passion. And so me even doing that, being trained up as part of their pastoral team was 
considered not okay by my previous churches and by my previous friends and um, my I had family members who were not okay with it. And I remember saying to one of my family members, and I'm eating my words now, but back then I said, um, cause they were really upset about me becoming a pastor. And I was like, can really? we just agree? <laughs> yes. Can we just agree that I just want to tell people that God loves them and that I'm not a stripper or a drug dealer. And like, <laughs> even then they couldn't get on board with it. And now I'm eating my words. I was like an adult, um, adult content maker or stripper. But yeah, that was considered radical and rebellious for me to do that. So you can imagine that was the reaction to me wanting to be pastor, how my people must have responded when I went on to do the work that I do now. Fantastic. So going from being a pastor to an online sex worker, how did this big change happen? I've I've seen that it was a a gradual change. Is that correct? Yes, you're absolutely right. It's I like a tagline, like pastor turned stripper, right? So it kind of has an overnight sensation. Like I left the church yesterday, I'm on the pole the next day, but it was a two-year journey. I left the church in 2017 because I found I couldn't be the fullest version of myself there. I had to hide my queer identity because my church was not queer affirming. Um, I had a very sexual side to me and that was obviously not allowed in that space. And so I had to just leave everything behind and be willing to step into the unknown and see where it might lead me. And I had no idea back then. And yet over those years, I came home to my desire from a little girl from middle school. I've wanted to be a stripper. I don't know how that became a concept in my mind when I grew up in a very sheltered and controlled environment at these Christian private schools and I'm at church six days a week. Like there was not exposure to the world where I should have known what that even was, but I wanted to do that. And so here I am, my early mid thirties, actually coming home to my original desire, which was to sexually express myself with others and love the idea that I could do it all online. OnlyFans change the way we can do adult work now. So were you always a sexual person then? Yes. I always joked in high school that I'm one big hormone with two little feet running around. Like (laughs) always super sexual, but I didn't know what to do with it. It, And I, I had a lot of body shame and sex shame. So I couldn't even fully enjoy it and really didn't learn how to lean into my pleasure and like cultivate orgasms from the inside out until a year ago. Oh, wow. That's incredible. That's incredible. So how did you actually live your sexuality in a religious context? Was it like two conflicting ideas for you? Or was it kind of a mind fuck, so to speak? Or how was it? Yeah, I thought I was kind of crazy. Because you always hear men have the sex drives and women don't. And I have a huge raging sex drive. So I thought, well, what about people like me, the anomalies? And I don't think I, I think there's a lot more people like me than we talk about in society. But I was like, where are the weirdos like me? And like, what am I supposed to do with this? And I was married um, to an amazing, amazing man, but we were not sexually compatible. And so I felt even more crazy. Like maybe I'm, I asked for too much and like, maybe it isn't possible to be fulfilled or maybe it isn't possible for me to, um, to even experience orgasms. Like in my 12 year marriage, I was never given an orgasm. And so I thought, I was broken. And the only way I could ever experience orgasms was giving it to myself. But I really wanted someone, especially my lover, my partner to be able to give them to me. And it didn't happen. So there was a lot of healing I had to do once I got divorced and stepped into this more sexual side of myself to figure out what is possible for Nicole. And can I live an orgasmic life? Can I live a pleasure filled life? And thank God, I am now doing that. But it took my entire life to get here. So did part of you at some point think that sexuality was a sin? And did you actually live that and believe it? I lived in fear of my sexuality. I used to have regular nightmares, like on a weekly basis of cheating on my husband or my husband cheating on me. And I think it was me being so afraid of this power I had inside of me that it had become uncontrollable and I wouldn't, wouldn't know how to handle and wreak havoc on my family versus leaning into that you can actually very much channel that energy and use it really beautifully but I didn't know that yet. So I, I kind of lived in constant fear that this desire would ruin me at some point. I didn't know that it would liberate me in every way. Wow. So um, with, with um, online and what's it called? OnlyFans. Earlier this year, it announced they were going to um, remove all the adult content and they changed their minds. How did you cope with that with that time? Yeah, at first I was in denial. I was like, that is ridiculous. We make them so much money. It'd be the Mm -hmm. worst business move they could ever make. So I was like, it's going to be fine. They'll realize their mistake 
And then as days kept going on and they didn't change their mind, I was like, oh crap, like they're really going through with this. And we've seen that before with Tumblr and Craigslist. We've seen it and we've seen what happens, right? It's just all tanks. And I don't know why they weren't learning from their predecessors. So I kind of started scrambling to figure out what should I do now? Do I move to another platform? Do I just kiss it goodbye and focus on something else? And it's in the midst of trying to figure all that out when they went back on their change. And I was relieved because I have something really amazing going on. My OnlyFans, the most incredible community. And I'd be heartbroken to lose that because of the adult ban. So do you think it's kind of similar? You've got your own church, I suppose. Would you see it like that? That you've got your own kind of congregation online? <laughs> yes, I joke. I joke that I'm still a pastor just with less clothes on. Like, oh, because yeah. what I love about my OnlyFans community is people come and like, not just get hot content, which there's plenty of that there, but they come for connection. Mm. And you can book Skype calls with me. And typically Skype calls are done for like sexy time between you and your fan. And every single person, except for one, who's booked a Skype call for me has done it for life coaching support. They want to know how to start their business. They want to know how to make more money. They want to know how to better pleasure their partner. They want to know how to leave their religion. And so that it shows like there's this hunger in humanity where we can be very sexual beings and be taken very seriously, where we can talk about our kids and our kinks. We can talk about our fears and our fetishes. And there's not a lot of places like that in the world, but on my OnlyFans, that's what we do. So how is your relationship with God now? Because obviously organized religion is not God. I mean, I think it's it, some of it is, but there's a lot of, you know, intolerance, hypocrisy, and uh, I know all about it <laughs> from the Catholic Church. So I think you'll never be as scandalous as some churches, you know, no matter what you do. Um, so, so how do you, obviously God is a very different concept to, to what people are preaching about in churches. So how, do, how is your relationship now with God and spirituality? Yeah, I feel more connected to God now than I ever have before. I feel more spiritual now, now that I've gotten rid of the middleman, mm-hmm. right? Once I removed the church, once I removed dogma, once I removed pastors, once I removed rules and just made it about me and God, everything became better. And it's like, I, I took my power back because I had been convinced that to have access to God, I needed organized religion. Mm-hmm. It's one of the biggest lies we've ever sold people because we come from God. We're an extension of God or extension of the divine, whatever you want to call it. And so once I eliminated the middleman, everything became a lot simpler and pure and more beautiful. And I feel like even in my OnlyFans work, I get to channel this divine essence, this divine goodness and sensuality and reclaim something that I think is inherently beautiful and take it back from religion and dogma that try to teach us it's shameful or wrong or moral and find that I've not only have I found my healing through this work, but so have a lot of my fans. Yeah, there's so much pain associated with you know, sexuality and womanhood in, in religion, and especially some religions more than others. But I felt that a lot. But I was kind of um, brought up in an Irish family, but in the UK. So I had like two influences that were very different. And I, I was actually wanted to be a nun when I was growing up. I was reading all these, um, I was reading all these uh, saints stories, female saints. I just loved the perseverance that, that they had and how they would you know, go against the grain just to like worship God or express their religion. And then I was reading the the Gideon's Bible and I came across um, a passage, I can't remember which one it was now, and it talked about woman being the glory of man, not the glory of God. And I just like, no, Mm -hmm. that was the day I I closed the Bible. And I I was actually had, I had amazing teachers. I I was never told, I was, I never thought that I was going to, you know, grow up and just be a housewife or something. I, I was always, you know, encouraged by by teachers and even by my parents and stuff to actually, you know, go far. But some people did tell me that I would never find a husband because I was too domineering and all that. I was like, well, I don't want one then. <laughs> it was, but I do believe now that, you know, um, God gave me a clitoris. Thank you, God. And um, <laughs> he gave it to, 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 to you know, to, to, for us to celebrate. And obviously, that you know, with the parable of the talents, you can't like waste these gifts. You have to, <laughs> you have to use them. 
So it's, I, I started I, to see as um, I, I rejected um, religion for such a long time. I never said I was um, an atheist, but I became agnostic for many, many years. And I had a spiritual awakening about three, four years ago. And now I'm okay, I'm okay with the word God. That took a long time. It took, you know, so I was using other, other words like source, universe, infinite intelligence. Now I'm okay with the word God. And I really believe that, you know, sexuality is the divine and it's been kind of repressed because it's powerful. You know, and, and I, I feel like that that is the way. And I, I do think some elements of, you know, liberation can be the same thing. They can, you know, take the, the sexual energy away, which is the most powerful energy that we have. Oh my gosh. I love that you shared all that. And I so relate to you as a little girl. I wanted to be a missionary in the middle <laughs> of the jungle, like cut off from civilization, doing God's work in the world. I'm kind of hardcore like that. When I do something, I'm all in. And unfortunately, because of the religion and dogma, it that taught me to cut off all things sexual, right? You only say that for a very specific time with a specific person in a specific way. And as a very fluid, flowy, feminine being, it didn't line up with my core values. And so I love that even in your own journey, you were able to do the inner work and reclaim God for yourself, not society's definition of God, not religion's definition of God, but your definition, your experience of God and has this clean energy to it because it's so important. And I feel like we've both done that with our sexuality and our sexual work is like we've reclaimed it as good and we know how to work with it. We not live in fear of it, not be ashamed of it, but embrace it, love it, celebrate it and live a very pleasurable, pleasure-filled life and helping other people not be afraid of pleasure. Life is so much better with pleasure and with orgasms. Absolutely. And there's this amazing book I read recently I don't know, um, that you might like. It's called The um, Outwitting the Devil by Napoleon Hill. He's the same author as Think and Grow Rich, which is a very popular book. But Outwitting the Devil is like a conversation between him and the devil. And the devil talks about um, organized religion as the work of the devil, because it really kind of represses um, or suppresses free thought, you know, and, and there's, there's no questioning of anything. This is the rules. This is the dogma. You got, you have to believe everything. And, um, free thinking is, is part of God, you know, it's not part of the devil and that the devil could be, let's say, you know, reality TV or, you know, fast food, all of these things that, that take our power away from us and including organized religion. I love that. Like, we don't have to be afraid of our thoughts. We don't have to be afraid of our questions. We don't have to be afraid of our desires. We don't have to be afraid of our curiosities. Like there's, there's so much openness and safety and exploring and experimenting. And when, if we can eliminate this fear of a higher power going to punish us or the fear of being misunderstood by others, we can then just be present with the fullness of our desires and find some maybe really beautiful things in there. Um, so which is why I appreciate you have this podcast because you're bringing to the center of conversation and our attention, the topic of pleasure and sensuality and sexuality in such a beautiful way. And I hope that more people feel safe and exploring and trying and testing and not stay in a box just because that's what they were taught because there's so much beauty and goodness outside of that box. So what skills do you, did you use as a pastor that you are applying to your work now? Yes, it's funny. I just wrote an article a couple months ago called being a pastor and sex worker have more things in common than you think yeah, um, because it's, it's a deeply relational work. Right. It's connecting mm -hmm. with your people. It's getting to know your people. It's serving your people. And one might be through sermons and one might be through sexy content, but there's a relationship there, whether or not people believe it. And this is what I love about OnlyFans. It's not a traditional porn site. I'm not just one random girl on the internet. People come to my OnlyFans because they want to get to know Nicole Mitchell. They want to know me specifically, uniquely, personally. And so we get to know each other and they're talking about their kids. They're talking about their work. They're talking about their relationships. And I talk about all those things too. And so it actually brings the fullness of their humanity to the table and an area that typically has made people and things one dimensional. And so I feel there's a lot of crossover and a lot of my fans come for like, spiritual guidance come for life coaching support. So again, it's so much deeper than just sexy content, which is awesome. And that's what I love is like, I feel like I'm still the same person just with less clothes on. 
<laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm, I'm really happy that I had a religious upbringing because I, I feel like it really benefits how it benefits me and it helps me to connect with people because obviously sex, even if you haven't had a religious upbringing, you know, people feel the taboo and they feel repression all, all over. So I think it's, um, it can help you to connect with people on that level and help them overcome their own shame. Yeah. And know like what community, you know, religion can give, gives a really beautiful sense of community, hopefully based on love and acceptance and not hate and intolerance. And I want to bring that same sense of community everywhere I go. And instead of like looking where to fit in, I want to create where people are welcomed in. And I get to do that only fans in my relationships, wherever I am. It's one thing I really hate about religion is uh, I guess I mean, you, you probably get similar comments, but sometimes I get these comments on my content um, that's about um, that they're going to pray for me and all of this. And I just think <laughs> I find it really um, patronizing and judgmental. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and then our response is like, we'll get off for you. Right? Like, <laughs> don't worry, I don't need you to pray for me. <laughs> I think um, orgasm is a kind of form of masturbation. I practice something called sex magic, which is uh, like law of attraction with orgasm. And it's just incredible. (laughs) But I feel like I'm connecting with the divine in that moment and having cosmic orgasms, you know? Yes. I, okay. I believe believe everything's connected. I'm so glad you brought this up because it's like so kind of taboo or woo or Mm. weird. And I think there's so, there's something here between orgasm and divinity pleasure and profit. So it was a year ago this month, actually, I was given my first orgasm ever in my entire life. It was the most mind blowing, life altering, healing moment. One of those like top moments of my life. I'll remember for the rest of my life. That was the same month. I had my first six figure month. And I feel personally, there was a connection to the surrender to pleasure, the surrender to something deeper, surrender to this connection, to the flow, to source, to abundance, that when that happened, like all these things clicked into place, things that were once fragmented were now integrated. Like there's some kind of deep healing happened. And now since then I've been able to like live in this flow of surrender and pleasure, profit and abundance. And they're no longer two separate things. They're very integrated, very connected. And we are deserving of them both and we get to have them both. And I think using pleasure is a great way to tap into profit and abundance and prosperity and prosperity is a great, great way to increase our pleasure. So I'm so glad you brought that up. I think those are connected and there's something pretty magical about it. And also the, um, with the chakra system, it's the sacral chakra, like this, which is sexuality and abundance and water and flow and, you know, all of that. So I have my citrine crystal here. (laughs) Yeah, I'm really into all of this because I actually I've been mostly focused on pleasure, which is already a big thing, you know, taboo, just getting because I really believe that, you know, female women are kind of sexually superior. We've been taught the opposite, but we have twice the amount of nerves in our clitoris compared to a penis. We we are multi-orgasmic, you know, so we've been taught, you know, we are kind of more sexual, but we've been totally repressed. So I was really focused on the kind of shame, overcoming shame and just pleasure at the beginning. And um, because I'm a sex toy reviewer and designer now, so I'm really making orgasmic technology (laughs) and teaching people how to how to use toys. But then three years ago, I actually had no money, and I was thinking, "Oh my god, this is gonna. How am I going to? Do I deserve this life I've created for myself?" And I discovered um, something called sex transmutation and sex magic. So I started to actually use my orgasm with manifestation, with intention, and then I completely changed my life having these kind of like cosmic orgasms and really kind of sending them out to the universe, getting the, org- the energy up my body and then sending it out with an intention. And I focused on three things. I even paid off all my student loan debts. I had like a lot of um, great things happen, you know, and uh, I manifested this apartment and, and lots of other things in my life as well. So it's a um, new moon in two days. So I'm going to be really working on my list, <laughs> the next list of things. I love this so much. There's this alignment. There's this like open channel versus blocking it or shame and fear. And like, you are like your best living testimonial. And now you're helping so many people through your work and through this podcast. And I'm just like, yes, more pleasure, more orgasms, more manifestation for everyone. There's so much suffering that's caused with sexuality as well. You must've seen that in the church, you know, um, marriages that you know kind of just maybe people marrying too young to have sex and not having any 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 sexual education i had zero sex education before i got married i didn't 
I didn't even know what consent was until five years into my marriage. And I was like horrified when I learned that. And I was like, how can I be 30 years old and just now learning what consent was? You're saying I had a voice. I was allowed to say no. I never said no to sex in all those years because I thought I wasn't allowed to. Right. So, and then I didn't even know what an orgasm was until we got married and I read a book about sex. Cause I had always viewed orgasms as in the movies, like a woman's on her back and she's arched and she's like screaming, you know, and like, I'm very quiet. I'm on my tummy. I'm like planking. I'm just totally flat. So it's the exact opposite the movie. So I thought, I don't know what it is, but this isn't an orgasm. So I was so disconnected from my sexuality as a woman in the 21st century, right? And I had all the resources. I had a high, I had a higher education. So it just shows like we're raised in a world that from a young age, separates a girl from her sexuality and we do go into relationships and marriages underprepared undereducated and it's no wonder we have so many sex problems it's no wonder that sex is one of the main reasons for divorce like we don't even know our own bodies much as how to connect with another person and their body and part of our work I feel like is you and me is like reclaiming and healing and educating women and young women so they can have the best relationships, the best sex, the most pleasure because they are so in their bodies and they know how to let pleasure in. That's fascinating. So when you when you wanted to be a stripper, was it just like a crazy fantasy of yours or how was it? How did it pan out for you? Did you ever imagine this would happen? Oh my gosh. It's, I think it was a fantasy or I think as a kid, it was like a fact. I want to be stripper. Mm-hmm. And then it wasn't until I started talking to my girlfriends and I saw their horror responses that I realized like, oh, like apparently that's not a thing a girl is supposed to say. But even in eighth grade, I remember watching the movie Titanic and seeing Kate Winslet naked on the couch as she's being drawn. And 13 years old, I remember thinking in the movie theater, I want to do that someday. I want to be naked on the couch. I want to be drawn. I want to have photos taken of me. So for me, and this isn't true for every adult worker, but for me, I felt called into this industry. And it just took me a lot of time and years and unpacking and deconstructing to come home to that original desire. Still had no idea what that would look like. Um, as a mom of three, I'm in my 30s. I'm not, I've never pole danced in my life. So I think that'd be amazing. And then that's when these online platforms were becoming popular. And then I got super excited, like, oh my gosh, I can do this for my own home. I control my hours. I control my, my rates. I control what I do. This is a dream come true. And so it took a lot of years and unlearning and healing to get to the point to even start my OnlyFans. Um, but it's been a beautiful, beautiful two-year journey at this point. So are you always body confident, would you say? No, I mean, like, it was just funny because I was like a hot, skinny little thing in my 20s. And I, part of me knew I was beautiful, but part of me was so afraid to own it because I had been taught bad things happen to women, especially if you're pretty. So I had this fear that if I was too beautiful or if I came across as sexy, I was asking for bad things to happen, right? Like, just like women are always blamed for rape, women are blamed for sexual assault, women are, it's, the women are always made out to be responsible for men's actions. And I believe that as a kid. So I try to be pretty, but not sexy. I try to be beautiful, but not like a temptation. It was this exhausting, impossible line. And then even in marriage and during sex, I wanted the lights off and I was afraid to be in certain positions and I didn't want him to do certain sexual acts of me because I just did not feel good in my body. And because I didn't have education around my vagina, I thought I'm really wet. And I thought that that meant something was wrong with me. So I was like really ashamed of my wetness. Um, And it wasn't until my like when I was 30 that I was reading books on female anatomy and I learned what the wetness even meant. Like I, I couldn't believe wow. how undereducated I was and how wetness isn't not only good, it's like necessary for all these different things for our bodies. And so I think I just, I was so tight energetically, emotionally that I could never fully surrender to the power and pleasure of sex. Um, and it wasn't until a year ago that I finally was in a space mentally, emotionally, sexually, where I was like, I'm ready. I want mind blown sex. That's incredible. Also, your story will resonate with many people because many people don't have their orgasms or maybe don't have orgasms at all. And they've had so many children. They've you know, been having sex for years and then no orgasm, which is crazy, isn't it? To think about it. It is crazy. And I'd always hear it's common for a lot of women, but we don't talk about it. 
So I never mm-hmm. told any of my girlfriends I had never had an orgasm because I was one of those people. I have three kids. I was in a good marriage. You know, it's great. But I was like starving sexually. And I just genuinely thought something was broken because it never happened in my marriage. And I remember the first time I had an orgasm, we weren't even trying. This, this person I was with, it just happened. And I just started bawling. And the words that kept coming <laughs> out of my mouth were, oh my God, I'm not broken. Oh my God, I'm not broken. Oh, I didn't realize how deeply I believed I was broken until I had that moment. And he just scooped me up and held me while I just like sobbed into his chest. And like, it was the most healing and holy moment because I realized that a new world was possible where Nicole could actually have orgasms and it could become my new life. And so now... Now I'm in a totally different place where I'm, I learned I'm multi-orgasmic. Like I thought maybe there's something wrong and I can only get one. Like so much healing has happened since I came home and since I've been able to talk about it. I think once I could talk about that, I wasn't having orgasms and I don't know what to do. It dissipated a lot of the shame around it. And so I'm always, I always talk about it because I want other women to know they're not alone. And that if I can finally have an orgasm, I truly believe any woman can. Definitely. So tell us about your life coaching. Oh my gosh. Okay. Life coaching. I just said between life coaching and sex work, I have the best life ever. They're just the best. And what I love about life coaching is I feel like my full-time job as a life coach is helping people's wildest dreams come true. It is unreal. So people's like biggest goals, like these big dollar amounts or their dream business or the kind of reach they want to have, we always get them when we work together. And so it just shows like there's this, there's this energy there's this magic that a lot of us were never aware of growing up and t- we finally tap into it in life. And this is what cre- creates the results in your life is what's created the results in my life. And so people who follow me online are like, I want my version of that, Nicole. I want to make a lot of money. I want to do what I love. I want to be sexy and be taken seriously. How do you do that? And so they work with me one-on-one or they take my digital courses. And it's all about finding out what they really want out of life and then making that happen. It's the best thing. So I guess you've been very, you're an example of this success because you've had your own journey, but then you've gone, you've been on all the media shows and everything. So how did that happen? So I, I was always a little girl. Again, I think so much of our work as adults is a returning to what we knew as, as kids. So when I was little, like in elementary school, I knew I wanted to be on TV. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to add something with TV and, and um, movies, but very quickly was shamed out of that as a kid because fame and wealth two things you should never want in life, right? That's what I was taught. Those were the two things I wanted the most. I wanted fame and wealth. Um, And so I did my business for a few years. I've been a life coach. It's my fourth year now. So for three years, I'm showing up faithfully every day. I'm posting content on social media. I'm coaching my clients. I'm teaching digital courses. But I just wasn't having the reach I wanted. So the life coaching came before the... the Okay, so you were doing that. That was what you did when you left the church then first. Yes, which is is so funny because I'll get criticism in my comments, like, oh, so you're like a sex worker turned life coach. How convenient. And I'm like, no, bitch, I've been doing life coaching for four years. I've been doing my adult work for two years. So it one fed into the other. Um, and they are so compatible together. But yeah, I was, I was ready for a bigger reach. I was ready for a global audience. And as you know, with manifesting, we're always led to the next right thing. And so I was led to this couple who lead the top one of the top PR companies in the US, but how to get on media, I didn't even know there's a whole method, right? I just thought it was luck. But there's very basic, simple things you do to get on media. And once I learned those, I implemented them right away and blew up, right? The New York Post picked up my story. I've been I've been published in over 25 countries. My following grew from 10,000 followers to 200,000 followers. Like everything blew up when I was ready and willing to be seen and learned the tools of being seen. And now I reaping the reward from it. And I love it so much. Now, how do you cope with, um, cause I guess anyone who's online has to cope with lots of things online, unwanted attention, even super fans, which is even worse in my opinion than, than the haters. But I mean, um, and then it's that the, the people, you know, which kind of hurts the most, I guess. But I mean, um, having all of that intention, how did you, how do you cope with it? What's your strategy? Ooh, that's a great question. Because you're absolutely right. We all get, if you have any kind of online presence, you're going to get trolls, Mm. you're going to get haters, you're going to get the quiet or maybe not so quiet disapproval by your loved ones. Um, And I think for me, what really helped as a people lover, 
mm-hmm. as a recovering people pleaser is I learned about the law of polarization. I learned that you will repel as many people as you attract. And I take it even a step further. I believe we attract more than we will ever repel. But that allowed me to surrender to those who felt turned off by me. Instead of trying to keep everyone in my corner, when somebody got pissed off or triggered, it was actually, I saw it as a good thing, a normal thing, a natural thing. It's like, okay, you go find someone who speaks to you. And now we just made more space for people who will love me for me. And then when the trolls and haters come out because I still get them and I'm so sensitive and I wish I'd be like I don't care what they say it it hurts me and I always have to remember that 99.9% of the time whatever comes out of their mouth or they write with their hands has to do with them I am just a mirror that where they project all their stuff onto and it has nothing to do with me and everything to do with them in fact I had a guy leave a comment on my Instagram yesterday because I posted like a sexy photo of me and my my copy was currently being a thirst trap in Vegas, like just being playful and goofy because I was in Vegas. And he, he was like, what the hell does this have to do with life coaching? And my response to him was, if you can only see a woman as one dimensional, like I'm only allowed to be a life coach or I'm only allowed to be a sex object, it shows it, it shows everything about you and has nothing to do with me. It shows your view of women, that women are only allowed to be flat one-dimensional creatures. But when I come along and I'm multidimensional and multifaceted and you don't know what to do with it, that has everything to do with you, not with me. So I try to point people back to that. Like when you say hurtful things, what is that showing you? And instead of like freaking out on me, sit with that discomfort and unpack it and don't make it someone else's problem when it's your sole responsibility to deal with it. I found in my journey, because I used to be very prolific in Spanish media. I used to write on the biggest Spanish newspaper. And sometimes I'd be in the shower thinking, yeah, I'm going to write that just to annoy people, you know, it was kind of funny because when I see I've write an article, let's say they'd be very provocative. And, um, if it was like the first few comments were good and the fifth one was negative, I was like, yes, yes. Because I knew that those, those are, those articles were the ones that got to number one, you know, I love that. <laughs> and, and it was really funny. And, and also some people would also, you know, your real fans, but they would be defending what? you because so, it's always good to stay out of it, you know? It was really funny, but what, but one article I wrote, which was hilarious, it was called um, Paying for Sex. And um, it was about a friend of mine who was um, kind of telling her boyfriend she was going to work, but really she was <laughs> being an escort and, and you know, trying to, trying to buy the nice designer shoes and all of this. And then there's other, other women who are, you know, having, you know, um, becoming prostitutes to, to buy shoes for their kids. And I wrote, I wrote this kind of comparison of, of shoes and stuff, you know, lots of people doing it because their kids have got no shoes to go to school. Other people are kind of like buying designer shoes. And then um, I wasn't really, it was just a, an observation because I think everyone should do what they want and all that. And, and there's some very beautiful stories that come from, come from that line of work as well. It's very, it's a huge, it's lots of areas of gray in it. Anyway, one of the guy wrote this, uh, this um, comment because I have a members area on my website with all my old erotic photos. I used to love um, being, being an erotic um, model. I've got loads of photos I've taken myself and stuff. Anyway, this guy said to me, how dare Venus O'Hara criticize or talk about prostitution in this way when she sells her body on her website for people to masturbate to her photos and her texts. And I thought, that means I'm a good writer. <laughs> so I was just really flattered by it. I, I thought it was hilarious. And also every time I get a kind of negative comment. I mean, for me, my, my growth has been very, very gradual, but I don't think I, don't think I can really handle much more. It, you know, it's been certain peaks. Um, but, but I think sometimes it's like the universe telling me, can you handle more? You know, that's how I see it as always like a test. But what I f- found worse is actually having super fans, the kind of fans who are, you know, writing comments who have a notification thing as soon as you post. I, mean, I just find that way worse for me, even though they have good intentions, but I just find it really weird. Yeah, I, I kind of ignore them, which is so sad because they're like your biggest fan, but they're kind of obsessive and it, it's a turnoff. And it's like, I'm not here for you to like ding, 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 ding my phone all day long because of all your DMs and your notifications. It's just like too much, bless you. And then on occasion, I block them. Because it kind of just takes... Yeah, I had to do that recently. I found, I found such an energy. Yes! I found such a relief. It was amazing. Like, bless yeah. you and goodbye. And I'm so glad you brought up the comment about how your fans defend you. I feel the same way. Like, because we're busy living our lives. We're not on social media all day. So if someone does leave a, a comment, most of the time, my people get to it before I ever see it. And it's just like, it feels so supportive that you've built such a solid community around who you are and your core values that people stick up for you without you asking and without you getting involved and you can just mm-hmm. kind of keep living your life. 
Yeah, because when I was writing for this newspaper, we always taught like never to get involved with the comments, and I've kind of like stayed with yeah. that. You know, nothing that happens there <laughs> except for except for the occasional when I try to give feedback. Because I know a lot of people watch my response to comments, so I try to be very thoughtful and not antagonize anyone. But on occasion, I'm human and I get feisty and I'm sick of like the comments. And I'll just put a snarky comment, um, and then people enjoy that. Like I had someone tell me the other day, like. Ugh, I'm unfollowing you now. And so I just wrote, bye, like a long bye. And like, I, people will call me like, that was hilarious. I'm like, it probably could have been more compassionate, but I was like, I don't care. Like, you don't need to announce your exit. Just exit my life. But since you told me, I'll give you a long goodbye. I have my moments. But all content creators evolve. And like some people you watch now, they've changed from what they were doing five years ago or 10 years ago. And you have to keep you know, evolving and then, and just share the journey, I suppose. Yeah. It's like part of being human. Like I, I, it surprises me how our, like our knee jerk reaction is to keep people in a box. Like, well, this is how I know you. This must be how you always be versus this is how I know you now. And I'm excited to see how you evolve and change over the years and not be threatened by it, but be inspired by it. Let it give you permission to evolve and change. And like, that's what we have in common. We don't have to fear it. Yeah, I saw a very funny comment on one of your videos, actually, because I was um, researching you a couple of weeks ago, and um, one of them said, I think it was something like, well, how is she going to stand before Jesus? And someone wrote back saying, she'll never stand before Jesus Jesus, because he died through 2,000 years ago. <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. People are so funny. Like, those are my favorite. When your people speak <laughs> up and I read them, I'm like, you, I could never have come up with a witty response like that, but thank you so much <laughs> That is amazing. Oh, people crack me up. It's pretty hilarious. I guess with it all with the pandemic as well, a lot of people living through screens as well now. So that must have helped. It's been a good thing, but it's also can be a negative thing as well. But but I always find that what hurts me more is um judgment from people around me, you know, like people or even friends that I thought were cool and uh and they're like, ooh. (laughs) It's the most painful. It's the most painful. For my own journey, I've lost my entire family and my two friends. And it was so heartbreaking because I still feel like I'm the same person. I'm still Mm -hmm. super kind, goofy, passionate, Nicole. And to be fully rejected is so painful, especially with people you think will always be with you. Like we have this innate desire to be loved by our family. And when they are done with you. It just, it, it's, it's super a primal wound. And then when your best friends, cause your friends are your chosen family. Mm. So you would think definitely your chosen family would evolve with you. And so I've had a lot of grieving and crying and people have asked me, well, has it been worth it? Well, yes. Cause I'm living my truth. I've never been happier ever in my life, but I had to be willing to surrender those who couldn't come with me in my journey. And that was heartbreaking. Cause I thought maybe hopefully my family or my best friends would be the ones to come with me. And they were the very ones who couldn't. And I've had to, the past couple of years, pick a new family very slowly, very um, wisely, because I want to make sure the people who I'm picking can evolve with me beyond this current moment and not have this knee-jerk reaction to judge or reject. Yeah, and also who are going to inspire you to grow and be, be more you, I guess, in the day. Because if, if you're not you, then that's not really real, is it? You know, it's not, not. based on authenticity. You're totally right. So that's one thing I, I'm, when I was growing up, my one number one value in life was integrity. It always was because I saw a whole a big lack of that in the church. And everyone's going on Sundays to to the church, but they're getting drunk in the week or they're judging people or they're racist or they're this and they're that. But then, then they're going to sing hallelujah on Sunday. <laughs> It's just, <laughs> we have no time for performative, like mm. authenticity and integrity is so important to me. And, and I think that's what I love about my work. There's no hiding. There's no shame. There's no pretending with me. I'm not secretly being an adult worker and then a professional life coach, but I am all of me and everyone knows. And I feel like there's more integrity than that than a lot of people or even leaders of a religion. And I'm good with that. I have, I'm at peace with myself. 
there's been a few scandals in the, in the news here recently. There's an Italian priest who was using money from the, dias, the, the the collections to actually spend on orgies and stuff. And that was just in the last couple of weeks, but there's a lot of that, you know, because if, if you don't, um, I read in this spirituality book about sacred sexuality, that if sexuality is not expressed in a healthy way, then it has an unhealthy outlet. Oh my God. You know, this is so true, you know. Yes, like I'm so passionate because it's going to come out one way or another. Mm. Right. So you can do it this way, which is super unethical, toxic and harmful, or you can do the inner work to get to a place and accept your sexuality and then do it a way that is ethical and right for you and doesn't harm anybody in the process. And I, I love that about my work is no one's being harmed. No one's being exploited. No one's being manipulated. I'm fully doing what I love and respecting everyone in this relationship or situation. And I just feel like so many people in religious communities would be so much healthier and happier if they would accept this part of themselves and channel it in a healthy way versus ending up doing crazy stuff like that. Yeah. And the abuse is rife in, in many churches as well. You know, it's heartbreaking. It's scary. Okay. A couple of quick questions. Um, what's the book that changed your life? Oh, I love that. Okay. I know what it is. It's, I read it in 2017 and it blew my world open. It's called You Are a Badass by Jen Sincero. And it was everything I was looking for, which was manifesting and being the co-creator of your life and having the power to create abundance and be happy and be prosperous being you. It was everything opposite of what I was taught in the church. Don't be you, be quiet, be small, be poor. Cause there's like, something good about being poor, good about struggling. If you make a lot of money, you're a horrible person. And so it, it changed the way I understood my role in the world, the power I have and began my journey in personal development, my journey in manifestation to get where I am today. So that book was the starting point of it all for my life. And this is the badass series, isn't there? There's a badass at making money. Is, is that just a standard badass one? Yes, the standard badass, but my uh, my badass money book is right there by my bed. I read it every year. Oh, cool! Um, that's, that is the number one book. I actually, because most people want more money and need help healing their relationship with money, so I typically buy people. Uh, you are badass at making money because it it's a game changer. Yeah, because also in the Bible it says it's like easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to go into heaven. <laughs> and it's like, you know, stuff poverty like, is like idolized, isn't it? Completely. Uh, it's like stuff like that that screwed me up. Mm-hmm. And was on food stamps for eight years. That doesn't serve anyone. But like, when you're taught garbage ideology like that, it's like, that's that's what I, that's the reality you end up creating. And so, yeah, talk about like, when you said it's like those who are closest to you that hurt you the most with their judgment. Like when I started wanting to become rich, I knew that wouldn't be accepted by my people. So I like stopped going to social events. And for a year, I hunkered down and like read these books and healed my relationship with money. Because if I talked about it before I had proof of it, they don't think I'm crazy. But once the money started flowing in, people saw it. Then they saw there was like some legitimacy to what I was doing. But I had to because I was so sick of being on food stamps being broke. And I was ready to like pay my bills and maybe go on one vacation a year. And now making more enough where I have a really comfortable life. And also you can outsource to other people and help other families as well. That's a fantastic thing, isn't it? I employ so many people. They like, mm. they do what they, everyone wins. They do what they love. Like I, I think I have like overall 10 people who work for me or pay for their services on a regular basis. House cleaning, gardening, car washing, personal assistant, virtual assistants. And I all pay them a thriving wage. And like everyone is blessed when you have more than enough, you don't have to fear wealth. It is a great gift. It doesn't change who you are. It just amplifies who you really are. If you're a good person and you're generous, you just have more to be generous with. If you're a stingy person, you have more to be stingy with. So if you're good hearted, get rich, read that book. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get that one. That's on my list. Actually. Yes. I love, I love reading about money books as well. I recently talked about money with some friends and um, we were talking about, they were, they were saying that they thought money was a bad thing. And there's this exercise. If you close your eyes and you imagine money as a person, what kind of person do you see? And they were seeing like someone who's manipulative. Cause also that film, you know, Wolf of Wall Street, that paints a very bad picture of what rich people do. You know, that they're, they're, they're spending all their money on drugs. They might be exploiting people, ripping people off. But I mean, for me, I just saw this kind of like nice old grandfather in a pinstripe suit and some kind of watch here that's ha- with a big smile and just a nice person, you know? 
<laughs> love that. I used to write letters to money like it was a person to heal it, to take it from being a greedy asshole to this loving, benevolent human who just wants to give and help and support. And like, it's crazy the power we give money. We blame it for things like Wolf on Wall Street when it's just a tool. It's like blaming the the hammer for the carpenter. It's like, wait, what? That is, it makes no sense. But that's the world we're raising. Our money has so much shame and stigma and judgment around it. We can't extract it and see it just as this neutral resource. You can do good stuff with it. You can do bad stuff with it. But it it's not going to turn you into a wolf on Wall Street unless you're the, already that wolf inside. <laughs> yeah, definitely. What about what, do you have a phrase or affirmation or quote that you live by? Oh my gosh, so many. I have affirmations go off every hour on my phone, um, 10 hours out of the day. Well, I think one of my favorite ones through when I was healing my relationship with money and was brand new to making any kind of money because I went from making $0 a month to now six-figure months is I am abundance and everywhere I go, abundance flows. I love it. And it took it as like, I used to think as money was separate and distant and cut off for me to abundance is who I am. So therefore, everywhere I go, abundance is always when it changed the way I viewed money, which changed my experience, experience with money. So that's probably one of my favorite ones. Oh, fantastic. So where can people find you? Yeah, come find I'm on all the social medias. Um, but you can just go to my website, NicoleMitchell.com. Nicole is spelled with a K. Um, but come Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, I'm on all of them. Come say hi. I love meeting new people. I come to my OnlyFans. I highly recommend it. It's an amazing space. I have a lot of girlfriends to subscribe. It's it's a pretty, pretty amazing place to be. So your coaching is, is also through OnlyFans, is that correct? Yeah. I've had some of my OnlyFans become clients and almost all my coaching clients subscribe to my OnlyFans. It's the most beautiful thing. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, <laughs> meeting you and for spreading this message. I am so grateful for you. Okay. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast. It's been a pleasure. Definitely. The book I'm reading now is The True Confessions of a London Spank Daddy by Peter Jones. I'm reading this book because it's been on my list for a very long time. I've always loved erotic memoirs, but usually erotic memoirs are written by women. We don't often get the male perspective. And also this is a London spank daddy. So it's a guy who was a lawyer in London and he used to offer a spanking service to women. And also we don't often hear about the female sexual consumer. It seems to be quite taboo or maybe not as common as the male one. And it's very, I find the whole thing very, very intriguing. On a side note, I'm very intrigued about the new film that Emma Thompson is starring in called Good Luck to You, Leo Grande. And she is a an older woman who's going through a sexual awakening and decides to hire a gigolo. So I'm definitely going to be watching that as soon as I can. But going back to the true confessions of a London spank daddy. So it's a lawyer who used to offer this service to different women. And what's interesting about it is that often each woman had, there's something more than the physical side of spanking. There's some kind of role play that's going on that seems to be quite central to the whole encounter. And each chapter has a woman's name and he tells the story about each person and how and how they got to meet and what the focus of the spanking session was. I'm going to read a bit of the blurb. My name is Peter. I'm a spank daddy. I offer a spanking and disciplining service to women. Discover an unknown world of sex, spanking and submission. A world where high-powered executives and cuddly moms go to be spanked, caned and disciplined. In this powerful and compelling book, Peter explains how his interest was kindled by corporal punishment whilst at school. Chapter by chapter, he reveals his client's stories as he turns their fantasies into reality. One of the stories is about a woman who wants to have a spanking um, role play, <laughs> spanking session, because she wants to, she feels very guilty about an incident and she wants to kind of overcome that guilt and be told off. And it's very interesting thinking about those days at school when 
you'd get singled out by the teacher and shouted at and humiliated in front of the class. And I remember going through those situations myself and just feeling really awful and just hoping that no one's going to find out, your parents are going to find out. It's like a huge sensation of shame. Whereas doing it as an adult, as part of a role play, can be absolutely thrilling. And there's something that we can't explain about that. I find it very thrilling anyway, and especially that strict school environment. It's uh, It can be an incredibly er erotic thing to play out as adults. I'm going to read a small extract from this, the story of this woman who wanted to kind of overcome this deep guilt. Okay. From talking to some of her other spanky friends, she had decided that only a full-scale beating would provide the cathartic effect she was looking for and allow her to put the incident behind her. Was I willing and able to provide it, if that was indeed what she wanted? I was somewhat taken aback by the idea of a full-scale beating, but suggested to her that, within reason, I was depending on her de definition of hard punishment. If she was looking for a Singapore or Saudi type experience, then she was crazy and I was not her man. But if she wanted an experience right up to the limit of what a genuine headmaster from the 60s would have deemed acceptable, then yes, I felt I could deliver. I'm actually so glad I didn't have to experience teachers spanking me, to be honest, even though as an adult, I, I find spanking very intriguing. I'm glad that was all illegal by the time I was at school. But there is something very thrilling about spanking from a physical perspective. For example, if you're doing OTK over the knee spanking, then that moment before the hand strikes the flesh, then as you anticipate the spank, you kind of involuntarily become tense. You're tensing maybe your buttocks and your pelvic floor area. And then as the spank happens, you relax. And then if the spank carries on, then it's a constant sensation or it's a constant um, process of tensing and then relaxing over and over again. And you're stimulating your clitoris that way indirectly by tensing and, and relaxing your pelvic floor muscles. So it's incredibly thrilling. Also, if you combine that with a role play, then it can be incredibly hot. Another thing I love about spanking is the film Secretary, which must be my favorite film of all time. I don't really watch films that often. But um, this is a film that I've seen maybe 15 times, which is a lot for me. I, I kind of became obsessed with it to the point where I kind of know, I kind of know the script by heart. And if I'm not mistaken, it's from 2002 and it's starring Maggie Gyllenhaal and James Spader. And they are just excellent in it. The, the energy between them is fantastic. And James Spader is a, a lawyer, which is kind of similar to this story of uh, Peter Jones. And Maggie Gyllenhaal is his secretary. And in his office, it's all kind of dark and quite old school. And there's no, com there are no computers. All you can hear is typing, an old-fashioned typewriter. So obviously, you can't just um, click on the delete button every time you make a mistake. Everything has to be typed out again. Anyway, one day she makes a typing mistake and he puts a big red circle around it with a red pen and invites her into his office and he tells her to lean over the table and read the letter out loud. And as she reads, he starts spanking her. And then she actually realizes that she enjoys it so much, she starts to make spelling mistakes on purpose. And then when he notices that she's making them on purpose, he stops spanking her. So then she's challenged and she's thinking, I need to do something a bit more drastic to grab his attention. And that's all I'm going to tell you because it really is worth watching. It's kind of like a twisted love story. But going back to the book, I'm still reading it. So it's still very new to me and I've got many more stories to enjoy in it. And that is The True Confessions of a London Spank Daddy by Peter Jones. Now it's time to slow things down as we prepare for this episode's guided affirmations meditation. It's probably not a good idea to listen to this while driving or operating machinery. Instead, take a break from whatever you're doing, get comfortable, take a deep breath and enjoy.
celebrate my body. I love my body. My body gives me pleasure. I give my body pleasure. I celebrate the sensation of the soft breeze against my naked skin. I am grateful for the feeling of arousal. My body is a gift from God and I celebrate this gift. I celebrate my body. I love my body. I love how my body reacts to sexual stimulation. The tingles on my skin. Deeper breathing and excitement. I accept my nakedness. Orgasm is a gift and I am grateful for this gift. My body is a gift from God and I celebrate this gift. I celebrate my body. I love my body. I reject shame and guilt. I reject embarrassment. I reject inhibitions. My body is a temple and I treat it with reverence. My body is a gift from God and I celebrate this gift. I celebrate my body. I love my body. I treat my body to massages and other treatments. I celebrate touch. I celebrate deep communion through giving and receiving sexual pleasure with a loving partner. My body is a gift from God and I celebrate this gift. I celebrate my body. I love my body. I guide my lover to teach them what I like. I am able to express my desires. I take the time to discover what feels good. I accept my body as it is. My body is a gift from God and I celebrate this gift. To find out more about me and my orgasmic lifestyle, visit venusohara.org or follow me on Instagram at instagram.com slash venusohara. Make sure to search for the Orgasmic Lifestyle Podcast by Venus O'Hara in Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening. Have an orgasmic week and make sure every day is a climax.